Many of us uh, have used what's called the sandwich method of confrontation before, right? There's someone who you know that you need to speak to. Maybe you have hard words that you need to address to them, and you're kind of anxious and apprehensive about the conversation that you need to have with them. And so you, you know the majority of what your conversation is going to be is going to be pretty heavy, pretty uh, confrontational, a rebuke needs to be made. And so you think, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll start the conversation with some praise and some encouragement, and, and then I'll rebuke them for half an hour, and then I'll end the last five minutes with some encouragement and praise. And, and we use that kind of as a, you know, a, a people skill when we're interacting with people. And as we look into our text this morning, it might appear that that's what Paul's doing. We know that the church at Corinth has got some really serious problems, some major sin issues, and we'll enumerate some of those in a minute. But these verses that we're looking at this morning, Paul seems to almost forget who the Corinthians are with the praise and the thanksgiving that he's giving. What I want us to look at this morning and understand is that Paul's not just employing a a people skill here by using the sandwich method where he's going to praise them and then rebuke them and then close out the letter with praise again. That Paul is genuinely and appropriately thankful to God for what God has and is doing in the life of this church at Corinth. So let's read through these verses together here this morning, and then we'll unpack them one at a time. Verse 4, Paul speaking here, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we start right here, very beginning, verse 4. Paul says, I give thanks to my God always for you. Paul is regularly, he uses the word always, every time he remembers the Corinthian church, every time he prays, he's giving thanks to God for something that God is doing in the midst of these brothers and sisters. He's praying for his spiritual family. And he's praying for a group of people that we, because we already are familiar with the book of Corinthians, we already know that these are, are grossly immoral people. They've sinned. In, in significantly, significantly sinful ways. They're incestuous. They're bringing lawsuits one against another. They're disunified. Some are of Paul, some are of Apollos. They, they have their men that they're following. They're doctrinally confused. Did the resurrection happen or did it not? Why is Paul right out of the gate here, so thankful and positive and upbeat about a church that we know is so rife with sin and sinfulness. And if we read the entire letter first, we probably wouldn't think to start the letter this way. But we'll notice that Paul is not primarily praising the Corinthians. Who's Paul praising? Who is Paul giving thanks to? He gives thanks to God for God's work in the life of the Corinthian church. He's thanking God for what God has done in them. We 
must give thanks to the giver of the gifts. We don't worship the gift, right? If I, uh, when I gave my wife her engagement ring 10 and a half or so years ago, um, let's say that she received that ring from me and immediately all she did was focus her attention on the ring, right? And I'm trying to get her attention and ask her you know, what she thinks of it. Don't bother me, Jeremy. I've got this beautiful ring. And so she takes pictures and posts pictures of the ring on Facebook, and she shows the ring to her friends, and the ring becomes the object of her love and affection and attention. And we would all look at that and say, yeah, it's a nice ring, but I think your affection, your, your appreciation is misplaced. There's actually someone who loves you and gave you the ring, and so your thanks, your appreciation, your attention needs to be drawn out to the one who has given you these gifts. And we're going to look this morning at how God has graciously gifted the Corinthian church and, and so often we focus so much on the gift that we forget that this wonderful gift has come, and has come from a wonderful giver. Paul's not forgetting that. He's not letting the Corinthians forget it. And this morning he's not letting us forget it. These gifts from God are from God. We give thanks to the giver. We are saved by God's faithfulness to us. In Christ, it is all of grace. Verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God, the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Grace. Grace is a word that's used a lot around here, and rightfully so, appropriately so. In fact, it's even in the name of our church, Grace Church of the Valley. And I think there are some who fear overusing the word grace, overemphasizing the reality of grace. And as Scotty Ward Smith says, and, and if, you're, if you're someone who does Twitter, Scotty Ward Smith is someone worth following, okay? Scotty Smith is a pastor. He says this, saying too much grace will make Christians stop obeying is like saying too much error will make people stop breathing, okay? We, we cannot... We cannot overemphasize grace, but we can misunderstand grace. So this morning, as we look into this passage, we'll see how that the grace of God has gifted us in numerous ways. We'll look at five different ways that the grace of God has blessed us this morning. So Paul is thankful to God, most fundamentally, for the grace of Christ. And we see that grace provides us with, well, grace provides us with everything. I think the title of the sermon this morning is Thanks for Everything. You know what it's like. You go to someone's house, right, and they, they give you a delicious meal, and they take good care of you, and you have great fellowship, and on your way out the door, you look at them, and just with a heart that's truly full of thankfulness and appreciation, you look at them and say, thanks for everything. When we understand God's grace to us in Christ, it's not that kind of thanks for everything. When we understand God's grace to us in Christ, it is a true thank you for everything. Every spiritual blessing is ours through the grace of Christ. So first of all, these five things that we'll look at this morning, and these are going to come straight out of the text. Number one, grace saves us. What are the blessings of of grace? Number one, grace saves us. And this is incredibly obvious to us, especially those of us who have known the gospel of Christ for a long time the end of verse 4, the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Grace that saves us. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. 
There may be those who are here this morning who aren't real familiar with the the Christian gospel, the truth from Scripture about why man needs to be saved. Maybe this morning you heard, of, you know, you heard as we walked through the, the Lord's table together and you heard about Christ's sacrifice, Christ's death, man's sin. What does all this mean? Well, let me give you a, just a 45-second gospel here. You see... God is the loving creator of the world. The God of the Bible is the loving creator of the world, and man has sinned against God by wanting his own way instead of wanting God's way, right? Teens have been in Sunday school. We've been talking about how that man wants to take the crown off of God's head and put it on his own. And sin has to be punished. And God's punishment of sinners is separation from him in an eternal hell. But God has also made a way for sinful man to get back to him. And he's done that through sending his son Jesus to live a perfect life and a sacrificial death so that those who would turn away from their own way and believe on Jesus as their Lord and Savior would not go to hell, but would be with him forever. This, in the most simplistic kind of formula, is the Christian gospel. And this is how... We've been saved through the grace of God, not through works, not through any kind of merit or performance of our own. This is good news. The Christian gospel is good news, not good advice. And we need to understand that difference, right? Grace is that there is good news for you in Christ. Good advice would be, okay, you're in big trouble, so here's what you need to do to earn your way back to God. You need to you know, you need to follow these commands. You need to, to uh, go to church regularly and pray and, and then hope that your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds on the final day. That would simply be good advice. And isn't that what the majority of the world's religions are offering? Good advice, simply good advice. But the Christian gospel is more than that. It's good news. It's news that someone else has lived for you and died for you so that your turning from sin and faith in him is what, is what unites you in Christ It's Christ's life and Christ's death that earns for you salvation. By grace, you have been saved. And so in every redeemed person is evidence of God's grace. In every redeemed person is evidence of God's grace. Not not, uh, spiritually mature redeemed people. You know, people that have been saved for 10 years and and they're really growing and God's using them. And so there's evidence of grace in their life. No, no, there is evidence of grace in everyone who names Christ as their savior. There is grace because they're saved. They've been brought into a relationship with God. And for, for those of us who have been saved for a long time, unfortunately, as I just walked through that simple gospel uh, explanation and definition, for many of us, the temptation was to kind of check out mentally until I get back to something that's relevant for all of us, isn't it? As I recounted how bad your sin was and how wonderful the news of Christ's gospel is, for, for many of us, we thought, okay, Jeremy's walking through the gospel, and I know that, and I've shared that with other people even. I mean, I, I know that well, so I'll kind of think about lunch until it gets back to something that's vital for me again. And brothers and sisters, we need to feel a rebuke when that is the response of our heart 
as someone articulates what is true about us. See, Romans 5 describes us as weak and ungodly, sinful enemies of God prior to salvation. That, that was us. I mean, the, the best of us in here, right? I mean, most of us kind of grew up in good Christian homes and good Christian environments and that sort of thing. But the Bible describes us as enemies of God prior to salvation. And we who were once enemies are now brought into the family of God by His grace toward you. If I'm a morally, if I view myself as a morally good or, or maybe even morally neutral person, grace is less than amazing. But when we understand that we were weak and ungodly, sinful enemies, which is true about us, then grace becomes significantly more amazing. Verse 6, I know I'm skipping down, but this is, this is supporting uh, the truth that grace saves us. Verse 6, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. This gospel of Christ was preached to the Corinthians, and it was believed by them. It was confirmed by them. They, they heard the, the gospel of King Jesus and they believed it. They confirmed it personally, experientially, and their, their following of Christ confirmed that they believed it. This same gospel has been preached to each of us in here and has been trusted, has been confirmed by many in here. But in a room this size, there is very likely the reality that there are some who have never confirmed these truths for themselves. Where, where you have put your faith, not in your own works, not in your own merit, not in kind of crossing your fingers, but you've put your faith in the works that Christ has done for you in his death on the cross. Has the testimony about Christ been confirmed by you? Christian, have you coldly reviewed the truths of the gospel or have the last five minutes or so been moments of making you humble and happy in the gospel. What do you think, what do you feel when we hear these truths rehearsed again, that the grace of God in Christ is what saves us? I trust that it is a spiritually heartwarming time for us. Number two, grace enriches us in every way. Look at verse five. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. We know what it's like to be enriched, right? To be made more rich, to be made more wealthy, to, to have value added to our lives. Right? We even, we, sometimes we go to something and, and as we leave, we think, man, that was really enriching. We go to a conference, we go to a concert, we go to, I don't know, hunting, of course, um, is always enriching. And, and, we, and we leave an experience like that and we say, man, that, was, that added value to my life. That was, that was enriching to me. We've been enriched in every way spiritually by the grace of God. We aren't left with need spiritually. The Bible promises to give us everything that we need for life and godliness in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we're not left with, man, if I just had a few more tools in my toolbox, I know I'd be able to serve God adequately and better. God gives us the full, the complete set of spiritual tools that we need to grow. And two that are articulated here, speech and knowledge. He gives us the words that we need to share his gospel and the knowledge that we need to live out a life that's pleasing to him. 
We don't get some, some gracious enrichment now and, and more to come. That's conditional upon obedience. No, no. God enriches us in every way. The words we need, the knowledge we need, all that we need, God enriches us. And that kind of, that kind of flows us right into point number three. Grace provides so that there is no lack of spiritual gifting. Verse seven, so that you're not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, note here that the church body is assumed. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. So there's a group of people here that's assumed. There's body life happening that's assumed so that so that God is giving to the church at Corinth the gifts that the church at Corinth needs. No one person has all the gifts, and yet we're told that we'll lack none of them. That's because we're a church body. And so I expect, I expect that when I gather with the church, someone will have a gift that strengthens, blesses, encourages, challenges improves me, enriches me because God's gifted you in a way that he hasn't gifted me. And I, I need, vitally, desperately need your gifting in my life. God's gifted the church so that we'll grow this way. God gives his church what it needs. Good parents give to their children what their children need. There are times where my kids need a hug and a candy bar. There are times where my kids need, you know, shots they need to brush their teeth they need to do homework god is good and he gives to us as a church what we need we'll have what we need as long as we need it until the return of christ god will give his church the spiritual gifts that his church needs as you wait for the revealing of our lord jesus christ number four another reason to thank god Say, thanks for everything, God. Number four, grace will sustain us to the end. Verse eight, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are extremely familiar with the old Christian song, Amazing Grace. And one line in there says, "'Tis grace that has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home." The old songwriter knew exactly what this verse is teaching us. That it is grace that has brought me thus far and it is grace that will lead me home. And I think it's even interesting, I'll just point out this side note, as we work through these verses, we see the past effects of grace, the present effects of grace, and the future effects of grace, right? The past effects of grace, that Christ has saved us by his grace and brought us into his family. The present effects of grace, we're being enriched and we're being gifted and the future effects of grace, we're being kept to the day of Christ's return, will be kept forever by grace. There are times, brothers and sisters, when we're, when we're really honest with each other, and it's really hard to get this honest with, with each other, but there are times where we feel like we're really just not going to make it. I remember a friend of mine telling me years ago, he said, every person is two questions away from crying. Right? If you go down the right track in someone's life, they're just two questions away from shedding tears in front of you. Because everybody's got something in their life that's difficult. 
a personal struggle, a family struggle, a church struggle, a, you know, a, a medical, physical difficulty. Every, we've all got problems. And, and you know, one of the, one of the, the privileges, the opportunities of, of serving uh, in Christ's church as a, as a pastor is um, getting to know a lot of different people. And I'm finding kind of this common theme that everybody's got problems. And those of you who are getting to know me, you know, my list is long. We, we do. We have problems. And there are times when we are keenly, we are keenly aware that our own strength, that by our own strength, we aren't going to make it. It's not just that we're going to have a hard time making it. We're aware that in our own strength, we're not going to make it. Whether it's a struggle with a personal issue of sin in your life, or a, or a marriage issue, or a child-rearing issue, or, or a, you know interpersonal relationship issue with someone in the church, or someone in town, or you know, what, whatever it is. And, and, and probably, for most of you, you're already thinking on what that is for you. These are times when a promise like this, that the grace of Christ will sustain you to the end, this, this is where a verse like that is the foundation that keeps you from falling. It's your lifeline. It's, what you're, it's the rock ledge that your fingers cling to when you feel like you're gone. It's Christ that keeps you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Your rod and your staff comfort me. God is with me. He leads me besides the waters. He leads me into green pastures. He leads me into the valley of the shadow of death. It's not that he kind of knows it's coming and he gets me ready for it. No, he's with me. He's with me through that. These are times when his rod and staff comfort us. These are times that young men don't grow weary and utterly fall. These are times when though we fall, we're not utterly cast down because the Lord sustains us. The peace that passes understanding when a loved one dies and you think there is no way I'm getting through this. I'm not getting through this. I'm never going to recover. I will never be the same person I was. This is where grace sustains us. And isn't it true that we've interacted with many Christians throughout our lives and, and they're going through the most difficult circumstances that they've ever been through or maybe even that we can possibly imagine and, and they're making it. And you think, I don't even know how I'm making it, but I'm, I'm making it. And, and, and you are thinking of times in your life right now, you're thinking of other people in our church, who've gone through those things. I mean, I am. I'm looking at different ones of you, and I know your story well enough to know already how God has sustained you. This promise has been fulfilled already in your life. God sustains us. I, um, there was a time in my life, I was sharing this with, with a couple friends recently, there's a time in my life where I didn't understand when people would talk about anxiety and fear I've always been a pretty kind of, you know, laid back, um, happy-go-lucky kind of guy. And so even when I probably should have been worried and anxious about things, I, I wasn't, okay? And sometimes that got me in trouble. Um, but I, when people would talk about, you know, really being fearful and stressed and anxious, I didn't understand that. And I, I, here's how my pride played itself out. Like, I just thought, man... Like, you have to be really unspiritual to struggle that 
much with anxiety and fear. Like apparently there are some people who have really bad spiritual problems like anxiety, you know. And that, that's obviously sinful. And that was my pride. And then, and then later, the Lord brought me through a season of circumstances that I, that I didn't have control over that I was right in the middle of. I didn't understand them. I didn't know how things were going to work out. I didn't know how things were going to play out. I felt like I had no control. And I found that after weeks of this, I was kind of short of breath, you know, and I, and I, I just always felt kind of like just really anxious. Um, lost my appetite a little. haven't just a lot of you know, even physical, like GI issues going on here. And I'm, I was thinking, man, what's going on with me? And as I began to really evaluate my heart, my life, I realized I'm extremely anxious and extremely worried because I don't know how this is going to play out. And how this plays out is really important to me. And a verse like this, even looking back on that time in my life, I realized God sustained me during that time. And God is continuing to sustain me during this time. I mean, there, there was a time where I really feel like I, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to kind of hold things together. Am I, am I just going to kind of lose it emotionally when, you know, at a really awkward time, really awkward moment? And yet, God sustains us through His grace, by His grace. And He does that, of course, by bringing the Word of God to bear in our minds and the truth of Scripture and, 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 and promises like the ones I just enumerated, you know, where His rod and staff comfort us and peace that passes understanding. These things are true. God sustains us in this way. And not only that, but the end of verse 8, you will remain guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. How will you stand before God on that final day? I mean, I am often keenly aware of my sinfulness. In fact, I'm often more aware of my sinfulness than I am of my righteousness, my forgiveness, my, my uh, cleansing in Christ. Isaiah 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. This next phrase I absolutely love. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. So when I stand before God, I don't stand before him clothed in the filthy, sinful garments that I have earned, that I have clothed clothed myself with. No, at salvation, I am given a robe of righteousness. So when I stand before God, I don't stand before him oppressed with guilt. I stand before him in a, and I'm a very visual learner, I picture myself in this pure white robe standing happily, and humbly before God because because he's done something for me that I could not have ever done for myself. His life, his righteousness was given to me and he took away my sinfulness. I stand before him in a robe of righteousness. One songwriter writes, his robes for mine. What wonderful exchange. And even the songs that we've sung this morning have reminded us of these truths. Number five. Grace brings us into fellowship with Christ. Verse 9, God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Note whose faithfulness all of this depends on. God is faithful. Verse 9 says, God is faithful, and he is. If he wasn't faithful, none of us have any hope. Okay, 
the most faithful in here aren't faithful enough to keep themselves in the grace of God. God is faithful. And the assurance, the surety, the promise of our being kept by grace is based on his faithfulness to us. God is faithful. And he has brought us into fellowship with his son. Fellowship with his son. We love fellowship, right? Because when we say the word fellowship, we immediately think food, right? And, and that's legit. I'm, I, I'm not keen on fellowship without food. Um, so, I, I mean, I love that. We, lo- we love, we do. And, and when we're rightly related with someone, right, there's nothing between my soul and this other person. Um, there's, there is sweet communion and fellowship. And we know it on a human, on a relational level, often. And many of you, I, I hope most of you in here, know that same sweet communion and fellowship with your Savior, Jesus. You can't touch him, you can't see him, but you know that your soul has fellowshiped with the risen Christ. God has brought you into this communion, this fellowship with Jesus Christ. And because he's brought us into communion with Jesus Christ, he's brought us into communion with each other. 1 John 1, 3 talks about how, that our fellowship is with, an, is with one another and with Christ and with God. Our, our fellowship with each other is based on our fellowship with Christ. It's all about Christ. In fact, this passage is clearly all about Christ. Look at these verses again. Every verse that we've read this morning names Christ, or I think verse 5 has a pronoun, him. Yes, verse 4 ends with, in Christ Jesus. The middle of verse 5, enriched in him. Verse 6, testimony about Christ. Verse 7, uh, ends with our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8 ends with our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is Christocentric. Jesus is at the center. So, so at, in the end analysis, we're not even just thankful for grace. Like grace is just this kind of standalone concept and we're thankful for it. We're thankful for Christ. Grace is, is ours through Christ. Jesus is the hero Jesus is always the Savior. Whatever your problem is, Jesus is the Savior. We need to think, I've got a problem. How will Jesus ride in on the white horse to save me from this? His gospel is my answer for my need. Grace isn't even the hero. Christ is. He is our all. Christ is the one who does all five of these things that we've enumerated this morning. This sermon isn't about the concept of grace even primarily, this, con- this sermon is about a person, Jesus Christ. So we respond by saying, Jesus, thank you. Right, I love that song. and I know we sing it here regularly. Jesus, thank you. Thanks for everything. In closing, I do have several points of application that I think will encourage us and give us some food for thought as we go. First of all, You aren't too bad for grace. You aren't too bad for grace. We all get cleaned up and look pretty good on Sunday morning, right? I mean, we do. This is a pretty good-looking group of folks here, right? And there's not anybody that I'm looking out at going, man, that guy's, uh, you know, immoral, lecherous, you know, know, uh, doctrinally errant, um, 
you know, taking his brothers to court kind of guy like these Corinthians believers. You aren't too bad for grace. The Corinthian church was bad. They were messed up. They were sinful. And these things were true of them because of God, because of God's faithfulness. There are those in here who, even this morning, you're, you're aware of your sinfulness. You're aware of sin in years past. You're aware of sin in hours past. And it's difficult for you to think grace is really for you. When we read Scripture, let's remember to put ourselves in the shoes of the bad guys, right? So when we read, when we read through the Corinthian letter here, let's remember, no, no, those same sorts of sins are sins that I'm guilty of as well, okay? So, so the immorality, the incestuousness, those, those horribly sinful sins are sins that we've committed in our hearts, okay? So not, not everyone acts, acts these things out physically, but to break the commandment, we merely must break it in our hearts. So we are divisive people. We are immoral people. And we desperately need grace. So let's not, let's not distance ourselves too far from the Corinthian church by thinking, yeah, that's a really messed up church. Good thing our church isn't messed up like that. Those are messed up people. I'm glad we're not sinful like that. No, no brothers and sisters. This is us. We are they. I have no idea if that's grammatically accurate or not. They were immoral, and so are we. They were divisive, and so are we. They abused spiritual gifts, and so do we. They were doctrinally immature, and so are we. And grace was extended to them, and so it is to us. The Corinthian church is a church of bad people being saved and sanctified by God through Christ. That definition, explanation fits us. We are a church of bad people who are being saved and sanctified by Jesus Christ. And Demo and I were talking about this some yesterday. We still fundamentally think that grace is for good people, don't we? We do. Grace comes at to me after I've kind of lived a few weeks of, of doing my devotions regularly and being kind to my wife and not looking at anything bad on television. Remember, Paul isn't primarily expressing wonderful things about the people of Corinth. He is primarily expressing wonderful things about the God of the people at Corinth. You aren't too bad for grace. Secondly, a proper understanding of grace should immediately draw our hearts out in thankfulness. Paul says, I give thanks to God. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, as we have reviewed the grace of God to us in Christ this morning, I trust that our hearts are moved into thankfulness to God for what he's done. Number three, grace is not a subjective idea. And I think, I, I know that this is true for me. Often when I think of grace, I just think of kind of this vague concept of, you know, people who don't deserve something good being given something good. But what we did this morning, we looked through five tangible expressions of what grace is. Grace saves us. Grace enriches us. Grace gives us all the gifts that we need. Grace um, sustains us to the end. And grace brings us into fellowship with Christ. These are these are objective realities of what grace does. So when we think of grace, it shouldn't just be this kind of idea of grace. But as my father-in-law says, um, our minds are kind of like file folders. And 
and different ideas each have, you know, a, a folder with a tab at the top. And when you come, as you're working your way through the file folder of your brain, and you come to the folder that says grace, when you open that folder, what's in there? Hopefully, after this morning, there are some files in that folder. And so as you file, as you look through the grace file in your brain, you remember, oh yeah, grace saves me, grace enriches me, grace um, sustains me to the end, grace brings me into fellowship with Christ. And obviously, that's just in the, these few verses that we've looked at this morning. So when, when you come to the grace folder in your life, I hope it's not just a vague, yeah, I've got one of those in my brain somewhere. But there are tangible, objective things I'm thinking about when the word grace pops up in my mind. And fourthly, grace is the answer to messy, sinful, difficult situations. Grace is the answer. The gospel is the answer. Questions of despair are answered by the grace of Christ. So when you think, I don't know what to say, remember, remember, you've been enriched in every way in all speech. When you think, I don't know what to do, remember that you've been enriched in him in all knowledge. When you think, I don't think I can make it, remember that God will sustain you to the end. When you think, I don't think I've got what it takes, remember that you are being kept guiltless um, to the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember these truths. They are the answers to the difficult things that we face in life. Grace really does provide for us everything that we need spiritually. The grace of God that was given to us in Christ Jesus. Let's close in prayer. God, you are faithful. You are faithful. These Gifts come to us because of your faithfulness. Thank you. Jesus, thank you for living and dying and being raised from the dead for us. Thank you. God and Jesus, thank you for the grace that is ours, the free, undeserved, unmerited, unearnable grace is ours because of you and your faithfulness, your goodness and kindness. So Father, when we're fearful, when we're anxious, when we're worried, when we think we can't make it, God, I pray that these truths would be what comforts us and that we would be quick to say, Jesus, thanks for everything. We pray this in your name. Amen. This time Ken's going to come and just like we we're able to uh, install Scott Booker as one of our new elders last week. Ken's going to come, and we're going to hear from Dave Jackson this morning. Good morning. Thank you, Jeremy, for bringing the word to us. Um, as you guys heard last week, uh, just a, a quick little recap. Maybe you weren't here, but for quite some time, we've, we've um, understood the need to add some elders to this group of elders. Um, We've understood that need for a few reasons. One, it's, it's a biblical command to have a plurality of elders. So we want to be true to what God is, is telling us what to do. Um, and also the other the need we've seen is um, just to, to shepherd and pastor well. Um, as we heard even this morning, there are needs out there. 
that need to be addressed. So we want to shepherd well, and we need more men in order to do that. Um, so we've we've uh, that's one thing, and also just to take care of souls, not just to to look at individual needs as they pop up, but just to take care of people and, and point them to Christ. So we've seen that we've understood that need, and so um, several months ago, um, two men were presented. Um, to you guys as as men that we've seen as qualified that would um, add great value to this church and, and to point others to Christ. So that was Scott Booker and, and Dave Jackson. And um, their their qualifications are, are in character are, are evident to all. And we've had a, a waiting period just for everyone to, to get used to that idea and to, to examine it and, and pray for them, particularly as they considered moving into that role. Um, and during that time, um, they were true to form and, and their, their character and how they've handled themselves. Um, so they've been studying the Word of God and what it means to be an elder and looking very carefully at those, um, what God tells what an elder should be. Um, we've seen that on a personal level also as they've interact, interacted with other people. Um, I was, my wife and I were talking about this morning and we said if if children and animals are good judges of character, well, well, Dave Jackson passes the test right there. So, um, but that's not the only. That's not what we we stand as our conviction is for a judge of character in the Bible. But um, my 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 kids love Grandpa Dave. They call him Grandpa Dave um, or Farmer Dave sometimes too. So um, I'm thankful for him. I'm thankful for his heart. He won't say these things, but this is a humble man who sits underneath God's word. And it doesn't matter what he's been taught or believed in the past. He looks to the Bible. And if the Bible says it, he's willing to, to learn. Um, that, that speaks volumes to me. Um, this is a humble man who will serve in, in any way. And so I'm thankful for that as well. So, Dave, please come up here, share your passion and what God has been working on in your heart. In 1946, at a church baby shower, my mother chose my name. And uh, like many babies that are being born in our body here, uh, I was born and raised in the church. It was my, my family's social life, uh, Sundays, Sunday afternoons, Sunday evening worship, Wednesday nights, and the days and the evenings in between. And I always, I always loved the Lord though I sinned against him. And in my life, I really never rebelled against God's authority. I recognized myself a sinner and, and separated from God and desiring but not really being able to please God by doing good things and good deeds. And in my youth and the way I was raised, I went to the altar many times seeking forgiveness and in 1960, I was invited by a young life leader to go to a Billy Graham crusade in Fresno at Ratcliffe Stadium. And there I was drawn anew to the gospel that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth, that he died on the cross for my sins and actually nailed them to the cross. And I gave my life totally to the Lord that evening. 
and told him that I wanted to live and whatever that I do would be done for him. And I have grown in him and I have grown in the word and I now rejoice in the promise that God will never leave me nor forsake me. And I was drawn to worship in this church body. And it was very difficult for us to leave a, a church body that I'd grown up in, that, that I loved, and that they had loved me and, and my family. But I was worshiping with you to fill a, a deep desire that is in my heart, and that is to dig deep into the Word of God and continually lay its truths upon my life and clearly see Christ's heart and become more and more like Him every day. I have grown with you. And in Romans 12, 9 through 16, Paul gives directions to Christians in the church body. And this is my prayer. Let me read it to you. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. Continuing steadfastly in prayer distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. And may each one of us live to that Christian, to be that Christian in our church body. For the last four months, I've, I've met with your elders, and I'd like to take a few moments to share some observations about how much they love you. I've served on many boards, and your elders serve and, and work together as I have never witnessed before. Through prayer, they lay themselves before the Lord. Their thoughts, their desires, their predetermined ideas, and their lives. And they ask for God's wisdom concerning this body. They ask hard questions of each other. They speak their minds openly and in truth and love. They practice plurality or shared leadership. It's biblical eldership, which is opposite of the worldly board attitudes, which I have been used to, of big, powerful, self-promoting of desired goals. I've witnessed your elders humbly before God asking for wisdom and forgiveness for receiving rebuke and correction and confessing sin. They move in one accord, and if not in one accord, 
They wait upon the Lord. I can tell you they systematically pray for each one of you. They love you. They care for you. They care for your life here on earth and your soul for eternity. They love the body and they love you. And they desire for you to live in the Lord, to grow in the Lord, and be productive in the gospel. Being productive reminded me of my occupation of farming fruit. And isn't it wonderful that those who have been born again have been given the fruits of the Spirit? We farmers enjoy the day-to-day cultural practice of growing fruit, but we looked forward, always looked forward to the harvest. And in our church body, let's not pick the fruit of this world which leads to dissension and to death, but through Christ, Let's harvest in our lives the fruit of the Spirit as is found in Galatians 5.22, the fruit that everyone in the world is searching for, but only God can give. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And this harvest in our lives is, is my prayer for our entire church body. And today I, I humbly and I, and I joyfully look forward to serving this body as, as a servant elder.